I've been going through a, a process, and I've, I've alluded to this over, over the last year or so even, and that is a recommitment. And I say the word recommitment very specifically because I don't want you to think I've not been doing this, but, but there's been within my life in the last year or so a recommitment to the discipline of prayer. The discipline of prayer. Not to say that I was not praying prior to a year ago. Uh, I pray often. I pray daily. I pray multiple times throughout the day. But, but over the last year or so has been just a, a growing conviction that I need to spend more time investing in my relationship with God. Yes, through His Word, but through prayer. And I will tell you, it's been a rich reward that has come from that. But I've also experienced in a spiritual sense, the opposition that comes from spending that time with the Lord in prayer. It's amazing the things that come to mind when you start thinking about, okay, I'm going to go spend this time in prayer. All of a sudden, your mind may go a hundred different directions. I've learned the best time to make a grocery list is while I'm praying. That's why you should always pray with a pencil and a pen in your hand and a piece of paper. So when you think about mayonnaise, write down mayonnaise, you can put it out of your mind. And you can just start praying. And uh, just so, so, but the discipline of prayer is proving to bring rewards and richness in my personal relationship with God. I've been committed over the last year or so to, to have more intention in praying as a part of our worship service and praying as a part of the focus of what we do. So I've, I've preached on it more than once and we've had uh, a special focus that we're continuing to work on now on Wednesday nights. We're working our way through the Lord's Prayer and all that it means for us. And right now we're focusing on the words uh, of, that Jesus told us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those, uh, as we forgive our debtors. And uh, what a rich and meaningful study that has been. One of the, the things that has impacted me in the last year has been a book. I've shared it with you before. The book is from 1912, written by Pastor Andrew Murray. The title of the book is Living a Prayerful Life. And in 1912, the situation could be summarized as this, the state of the church. And they said in the year 1912, the church is at a low spiritual state due to sin and unbelief stemming from a lack of prayer by God's people and by God's pastors. 1912. The issue of prayerlessness and not paying attention to prayer and reaping the benefits of not praying, which is a low spiritual state in our lives and our church, was evident in 1912, and I would dare to say throughout history, as God's people have failed, miserably I believe at times, to spend time with the Lord in prayer. Well, what's the remedy? If the church is in a low spiritual state because of sin and unbelief due to a lack of prayer, what's the remedy? Well, the remedy is real simple. Just start praying. Start praying. Focused prayer leading to faith and obedience that will lead to a strong spiritual state of the church. And I don't know about you, but I will tell you as your pastor, I want to have impactful prayer as a part of my life. I want to be able to pray with impact. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I want to be able to pray so that God can make an impact on my life, in my life, in me personally, and I want to pray so that God can use my life and make an impact in the life of this church and this community and into the life of others because of what He wants to do both in me and through me. And here's what I know. I know that I can do nothing on my own. I know like the choir sang a minute ago and like Joy sang so beautifully, He welcomes the beggar. I'm so thankful that He welcomes the beggar. That's me. 
I don't know about you, but I'm the beggar. I'm the one who didn't qualify. I'm the one who, didn't, who wasn't able. I'm the one who was unfaithful. I'm the one who was not walking with God. And He welcomed me in. And I'm praying He will impact my life and use my life to impact others. I'm praying that God will, will send my way some earth-shaking prayers. I don't know how you pray, but I'm praying that God will send some earth-shaking prayers in my life and then in this church and then through this church to impact the community that God has put us in. I don't know about you, but that's just where I've been in the last year or so. Interestingly, I'll say out of the blue because I did nothing to do this, but I've been approached by two groups I had nothing to do with. The first is a group of people in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, There's no particular name for this group, but it's a prayer team for Durham. And so I've been going periodically and meeting with the group at the courthouse downtown. We meet in the lobby at five minutes to a five, right before they close the courthouse down. And Judge uh, Pat Evans meets with us, and we go up into the chambers, and we pray over Durham, North Carolina. We pray for the politicians. We pray for the, for the, uh, for the, for the police. We pray for the uh, fire and rescue. We pray for the citizens. We pray for the council. We pray for the mayor. We pray for the, the safety of the community. We pray for the churches. We pray that God will move and stir in great ways. And listen, it's been a blessing to me to be a part of that very thing. It's non-political. It's non-partisan. It is all gospel. That's been a blessing. That's just been a blessing. Also, out of the blue, because I did nothing to solicit this, I was contacted by Chris Schofield, a friend of mine who works at the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina, and I was asked that I would serve on a strategic prayer team for the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. This is the prayer team that uh, p- produces the 30 days of prayer, prayer conferences, and, uh, and keeps, tries to keep our churches in North Carolina, all 4,500 of them, focused on God focused on prayer, recognizing that the church is powerless without the Spirit and the church is powerless without prayer. Do you believe that this morning? And so I've been asked, and I've been meeting with that that team throughout the year, and in fact, uh, for the next couple of days this week, I'll be meeting with them, and we're having what we're calling a roundtable of prayer on spiritual awakening and revival. Kind of got some good news and bad news that we're dealing with. The good news is that we have sunk so low as a nation that, the, that, the, that, that we are in a desperate spiritual state, just like in 1912. I really believe, and other, I'm reading it from others as well, that the state of the church, the state of the gospel in America is at a low point. It's at a low point. Churches are, are declining and, and closing their doors. The, the impact of the gospel on the culture is, is minimal. And we're just seeing what's, what's evil being called good and what's good being called evil. And we're seeing a, a low point. That's, that's the good news. I mean, that's the bad news. Get the bad news into good news straight. That's the bad news. The good news is that when God has moved in revival and spiritual awakening in the past, it is in just those circumstances. Could it be, could it be that we're in a low enough state spiritually that God's people are crying out for God to move, crying out for revival to come, crying out for spiritual awakening to come? And I'm excited about that. And so, so when I look out, I'm, I'm, I'm renewed in my spirit. I'm praying for impactful prayer and for earth-shaking prayer. I'm praying, you might not like this, I'm praying for you to be a part of it. I'm praying for Ridgecrest Baptist Church to be a part of it. And uh, we look in uh, Acts chapter 3 and 4 today, and you'll take your Bibles and turn there, uh, and I'll I'll point this out. Spiritually speaking, 
times are tough today, but it's nothing like the spiritual times that were tough in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. The birth of the church, the beginning of the church, the founding of the church. Let me invite you to stand with me this morning. We're going to read just a passage of Scripture briefly uh, from Acts chapter 4. Here's what's been happening. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple and, and there's a man who's been lame all of his life. He's over 40 years old. And he's been placed there at the temple every single day to beg for money, to support himself, to, to buy food. Uh, and and so, so people have been giving money to him. And, and how many times Peter and John have walked by this guy, we don't know. But on this day, they walk by and, and Peter feels, is filled with the Spirit and he says, listen, we don't have silver and gold, but what we have, we're going to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the man stood up and he began to walk. Now, if you're that man, how are you going to feel right now? You've never done this in your life. Your ankles, would have been, which has made you lame, are suddenly strong and you're standing up on your own power. The pain is gone. The, the balance is there. And this man began to whoop and holler and leap and he was full of joy. And you can, can you imagine something like that happening at church? Amen. And you know what? Thank you. You know what it did? It, it brought a crowd. And the crowd began to gather. And Peter, being a good Baptist preacher, said, Well, so many people gathered around. Let's have a sermon. And he began to preach about Jesus. And how Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior, who had been crucified, buried, raised from the dead. And as evidence of that, this man stands before you well. Well, what happened after that was the, the Jewish leaders and the, and the temple guards, they couldn't stand people getting excited in church. So they came and circled the guys and they, 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 they swooped down on them. And because it was late in the afternoon, they arrested Peter and John. They put them in jail. And the next day they called them in and they said, Listen, you guys have to stop talking about Jesus. This is where we were last week. You guys have to stop talking about Jesus. And Peter and John said, Listen, you have to decide whether it's right for us to, to, to serve God or to serve you, but we can't help it. We can't help it. We've got to talk about Jesus. Now we get to our passage of Scripture for today. What do you do after you have that kind of an encounter? What do you do after God moves in such a great way? Well, what they did, Peter and John did, they went and gathered the folks together and they had an earth-shaking prayer meeting. I'm praying for earth-shaking prayer meetings to take place in our world, in our country, in our town, but in this church. I just want to read one verse of Scripture. At the end of Acts chapter 4, it says this about that prayer meeting. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with what? With boldness. Our Heavenly Father, today, though we have prayed for years and decades, though there are so many in our midst today that pray so effectively and, and they're so in tune with You, even though, Lord, we have, we have dedicated ourselves to pray even this morning in this worship service, teach us even more. Fill us, Lord, with Your Spirit as never before. Rain down upon us with your presence, as we gather to worship, as we sing great songs of the faith, as we open your word together, as we read about what happened back in the day of the New Testament church, may we be reminded that the same Holy Spirit that was active then is active now. And Lord, give us faith. Give us an expectancy. Give us a desire that, Lord, we might be determined to be a part of a generation 
that experiences revival and awakening for the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we pray now and always in His name. Amen. All right, please be seated. So what in the world happens to have a earth-shaking, impact-giving prayer service, prayer meeting? Well, let me share with you some principles of impactful prayer that we see here in Acts chapter 4. We're going to start at verse number 23 and work our way down through the end of the chapter. The first thing that you need to do if you're going to have an impactful, earth-shaking prayer service is to report the circumstances to the church. Report the circumstances to the church. When Peter and John were released after they had been threatened, they go back to the church and, and they, they, they put all the details out so that people can pray specifically. Now, is it okay to pray generally? What I mean by that is, is it okay to pray, Lord, send revival? It's okay to pray that way, isn't it? Absolutely. Is it okay to pray, Lord, we pray for all the sick that your hand will be upon them and bring healing? Is it okay to pray like that? Yes, of course it is. Is it okay to pray, Lord, for all those who are facing difficulty and opposition in their homes and in their faith and in their jobs and in the temptations that are all around, we pray for them today. Is it okay to pray like that? Absolutely. But it's also okay, and we should pray informed prayers and very specific prayers, especially in times of facing opposition. It's interesting to note that the Bible records and history records and experience tells us that oftentimes the greatest move of God comes when the day is the darkest spiritually. And that's why I mentioned the bad news is we're in a dark day spiritually, but the good news is God is still on the throne and God often works and moves in times just like this. Notice verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Well, what exactly had the chief priests and the elders said? In chapter 4, verse 18, it says, They called them in. That's Peter and John. They called them in. Verse 18, They charged them, Do not speak and teach at all in the name of Jesus. Don't do it. Verse 21, They further threatened them. doesn't say how they threatened them. But they further threatened them. Do not go out this door and talk about Jesus. If you do, if you do, you're going to face, and who knows what they said, but probably something like this. You're going to face harassment. You're going to face a loss of your job. You're going to face being hauled back in and put in jail. You're going to face a trial. You're going to face being persecuted. You're going to face being thrown out of the city. You're going to face being stoned. You're going to face death itself. You're going to face your family coming under pressure. Who knows how they threatened them, but they did. And in the face of threats of opposition to the gospel going out, the best thing we can do is report it to the church. Now thankfully, we don't live in a day and a time where these things typically happen to God's people in the United States or in the state of North Carolina or in Durham, North Carolina. But we live in a day and a time where uh, many believe that the greatest Christian persecution in history is taking place around the world right now. In fact, I have a little book called The Ten Things You Must Know About the Global War on Christianity. And in that book, it says this, 80% of worldwide religious persecution is against Christians. 
against Christians throughout the world. It comes from many places. It comes from other religions. It comes from governments that are opposed to Christianity. It comes from business. It comes from military and police. It comes from the laws of the land. It comes from teachers and schools. It comes from, from all different sectors of society in many countries. If you dare to proclaim that you are a Christian, you're putting your health, your life, your family on the line. And yet it's interesting to see that in those places of the world, Christianity is spreading as people are coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But the first thing we have to do is we have to report the circumstances to the church. Secondly, we have to acknowledge the bigness of God. God is bigger than any opposition to the gospel. Do you believe that this morning? God is bigger than anything we will ever face in this world. They began to pray. Verse 24, when they heard these things, they lifted their voices together to God. They began to pray and they prayed like this, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The prayer began with an acknowledgement of who God is. And I want to encourage all of us today that as we pray, that we always begin our prayers by acknowledging just who God is. When we start our prayer with who God is, then as we begin to pray for specific circumstances, as we begin to pray for specific people, as we begin to pray for specific uh, certainties that are happening and situations in our world, then we're going into it comparing those things that are bigger than us, but they're still much smaller than God. Who is God? How can we begin our prayers recognizing just who God is and His bigness? God, the Bible says, is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same time. The Bible makes it clear that God is intelligent, that He is spiritual, that God is personal, that God is self-existent. He does not need anything beyond Himself to exist. He is self-sufficient. He has everything He needs within Himself. He is eternal. He is glorious. I love this one. He is immutable, which means God never changes. God is holy. He is creator. He is redeemer. He is judge. He is savior. He is the preserver. He is the ruler. He is one as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is forgiving. And He is so much more. That's who God is. And as we begin our prayers, what an awesome thing it is to begin our prayers recognizing the bigness of God. But then we also have to recognize the opposition that we face. We do face opposition if we dare to live a life of the gospel. And as they began praying about who God is, they continued the prayer in verse 25. Who through, through, the, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? Psalm 2 is where this quote comes from. The question is asked, why are the peoples raging? Why are the nations rising up? And understand, they're rising up not against us, but they're rising up against God. And as you and I would dare to live a life of godliness and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, we become the object of their scorn, the object of their attacks. But understand this, that they are waging war against God and using us as God's people but the, there's not even going to be a battle in the end, is it? God's going to win. God's going to win. It's not going to be close. It was a close ball game last night. I don't know if you watched a ball game last night, but 
But the longest game in the history of the ACC in football last night, my Carolina Tar Heels lost 43-41 to in six overtimes. It was so close. Three times we could have won the game with one play, and it was so close. But listen, when the Lord comes against the opposition, it's not going to be close. There's not going to be overtime. There's not, there's, there's, if God's going to speak, and it's going to be over. That's what we need to understand. And fourthly, let's look at verse 26. Be reminded that God has a plan. Do you know that this morning? God has a plan. It says in verse 26, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. The, the people are gathering and they're fighting not against us, but against the Lord and His anointed. His anointed is Jesus. The Lord God, God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed of God, the Savior of the world. That's who the nations and the people and the forces of evil, that's who the war is being fought against between the forces of evil and the force of God, and we're being caught in the middle of it because we belong to God. And we need to be reminded that even in the midst of this, God has a plan. Verse 27, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So, so in, as they're praying, they're, they're, they're being reminded, they're reminding God, Lord, when Jesus was here, Pilate and Herod and all the people, they gathered and conspired against your holy servant Jesus when they put Him on the cross. But then notice the very next verse. To do... Whatever, this is to God, whatever God, your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. When the, when the nations raged against the anointed one of God and they put Jesus on the cross, they, in their wickedness and rebellion against God, accomplished the very will and purpose of God by putting Jesus, the Son of God, on the cross because it was in putting Jesus on the cross that our salvation was purchased. It's an amazing thing to comprehend. That God even, not, He doesn't just oppose the wicked, but He uses the wicked for His own glory and to accomplish His own purposes. And when you and I face opposition, when we see wickedness in the world, we know, even though we don't see it, God has a plan and God is working it out. And in the end, it's all going to be revealed and we're going to sit back and we're going to say, wow, look at how awesome God is. Then fifthly, very quickly, we have to make the right request of God. As we pray, we have to make the right request of God. Is it okay to ask God to deliver you out of difficult circumstances? Absolutely. Lord, if it be your will, as Jesus prayed, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. And many have, have prayed, and, and as Paul became a believer, and we'll see in a few weeks, as he's let down over the wall to escape the opposition, there are times when, when escape and, and removal is, is, is the way to go. But there are times when the Holy Spirit of God would lead us not to escape the circumstances, but to be bold in the midst of the circumstances for the gospel. So we have to make the right requests of God. Notice verse 29. After saying all these things, and then it was this, And now, Lord, now, Lord, with all this going on, look upon the threats of these Jewish leaders. Look upon the threats of the, of the temple guards and grant to your servants, that's us, to continue to speak your word with all boldness. We're in a tough spot, Lord. We've been threatened. And we're not praying that you'd get us out of the city 
We're praying you give us boldness to stand against the threats and talk about you when they told us not to. Verse 30, And while you stretch out your hand, God, give us the courage to speak boldly while you, God, stretch out your hand to heal and give signs and wonders that are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Lord, they're praying, Lord, make us bold while you are at work. We have to understand, we can't change anything. We can't change anything. I can't change anything. Anything. Do you know what I can do? I can testify about the one who can change anything. That's my job. I can't, I can't make anybody do anything, but I can testify and give voice to the one who can do anything. And then notice the last one here, verse 31. Experience the response of God. When they had prayed, when they had prayed like this, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. That's the first thing. Does this mean literally like an earthquake? Or does this mean shaken from within their bodies, their spirits? We don't know. We're not told. But, but it was noticeable and it was impactful. They were shaken, first of all. Secondly, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Does, does that, does that, does that, is that a prayer that you want to pray? Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And then notice what they did. They continued to speak the Word of God, how? With boldness. They continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. They didn't just start then, they continued. They were already doing it. They continued because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I can't do any of this. I can't stand before you and preach a sermon. I can't stand before a group of people and teach a class. I can't go out and speak to anybody one-on-one unless the power of God through the Holy Spirit fills me with this Spirit and gives me boldness to speak it and gives you the, the opportunity to hear it and respond and the conviction of your Spirit to do something about it and then multiply that out in our community. That's what happened in the book of Acts. That's what I'm praying for my life. That's what I'm praying for your life and for Ridgecrest Baptist Church. This past Tuesday, I had my latest courthouse prayer with Judge Pat Evans and a group of people. We gathered up in the chambers to pray and then... Judge Evans says, you know what we need to do before we leave? We need to go on the steps of the courthouse in public view. And we need to link up arms. And we need to pray boldly for our city. And you know what we did? We did it. There were sheriff's deputies walking by. There were people walking by. They looked at that, little, that circle of people standing there, the arms locked. They could, they could have heard us over, over, at the, over the Durham Bulls Park, I promise you. And who knows what they thought, but you know what we did. We prayed boldly and loudly. I'm going to ask this morning that we do something similar in here. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you will. I'm going to ask you to just scooch over beside somebody. Scooch is a good Baptist word. Scooch over and link arms. We're not going to hold hands. Just link arms. We're all a link in the chain. You go across the aisle and, and just scooch over and get a hold of somebody. And, and if you need to, make a friend. Tell them who you are. And, uh, and just, just be welcome here. But... But I'm going to pray, and uh, after I pray, we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing face-to-face, -face. and let's just stay linked up, Al, while we sing that song, and we're going to sing face-to-face -face as our service concludes. But, but, but I'm going to pray, and if you don't want in on this prayer, just, just tell the Lord right now, I don't want it, because I'm going to pray for boldness. I'm going to pray for the Spirit of God to move. I'm going to pray for God to use Ridgecrest Baptist Church as never before. Hasn't He used this church in great ways?
Hasn't God done that in great ways? I'm praying He'll use us as never before. Not because of me, not because of you, but because of Him. Our Heavenly Father, we link our arms and our hearts together today because we want to come face to face with one another and face to face with you. We pray, our Heavenly Father, you would work in the hearts and lives of everyone here that, Lord, you would, first of all, help us to have an encounter with God through prayer to make sure that we are rightly related to God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to know whether or not we've actually and sincerely been saved and made right. And, and for those of us who have, Lord, may we continue to pray. And for those that have not, Lord, may even today be the day that someone would cry out and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I know you're the one that died in my place on the cross. Today I invite you into my life to heal me, forgive me, save me, and walk with me and take me to heaven. Lord, today, would that be someone's prayer? But Lord, as believers, as believers, O oh God, teach us to pray. Give us a boldness. Give us a great expectation, not in our own abilities, but a great expectation in who you are and what you do and how you move. How that even on a, on a rainy, dreary day in October, we can experience the fire of the Spirit of God in our souls. We pray, our Heavenly Father, the Word would go forth and the Spirit would move, first of all, in us individually, and then, Lord, in our church as a whole, and then, Lord, radiate out into our community as never before for Your name and for Your glory. Lord, give us a boldness in the face of any opposition, whether it be a, a neighbor or a friend, someone that would say a snide remark about us in our faith. Lord, give us a boldness even in the face of someone that would, that would, that would speak ugly to us or about us. Give us a boldness, Lord, even if our, our government or, or any other force would come against us for our faith. Lord, give us a boldness. Teach us to pray. Motivate us by Your Spirit. And may great things happen for the kingdom of God as we pray, as we sing, as we worship, and as we go forth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said...